Uh, be turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. And as we, uh, as we discussed last week, we've been kind of working our way through the book of Colossians. Right? And what we've, uh, as a review, what we've kind of seen thus far is that in chapters 1 and 2, right, it's, it's very doctrinal in nature, right? It lays out for us, like, this is who Christ is, right? Christ is not just the Son of God. He's the fullness of God. And then after we see who Christ is, we see who we are, right? What is our position in him as believers, right? And it goes through a whole list of things that we are, right? And that's very important. We talked about that. We talked about how that's important for us to keep in mind, because as we get into chapters two and three, the instruction changed from, a, from doctrinal in nature to very instructional, right? To kind of steal a term that Kenny said, it's very boots on the ground, right? Day-to-day type practical instruction, okay? And so last week, we spent time in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, and what we saw was, was Paul giving instruction in prayer, right? Instruction in prayer. And we said, you know what, this is very fitting because the book actually starts off, and, and Paul's letting this church at Colossae know, hey, man, this is how I'm praying for you guys. And then as we get to the end of the book, he says, oh, by the way, here are some instructions on how you ought to pray, and here's some things that you can be praying specifically for me. And, and I didn't mention this last week, but... What's, what's interesting is if you take those instructions that Paul gives in chapter 4 and you go back to chapter 1, he's praying for them the exact same way he instructs them to pray for themselves and to pray for others. Okay? And so he, he actually models it for them before he goes off and tells them, which is a, it's a good principle, right? We ought to be living something before we go tell others this is what you need to be doing. Okay, so that's something cool you can check out. Again, um, last week, some of the key points we saw last week, right, we ought to be frequent in our prayer life. We talked about how, you know what, the frequency of our prayer, it, it, it shows our dependence upon God, our need for God. We talked about how we ought to guard our prayer lives. We, we must be intentional, right, to protect and to have uninter- uh, uninterrupted, right, intentional, uninterrupted time with God in prayer. And lastly, we saw that we ought to be thankful, right? Th- prayer ought to be the thankful practice of our lives, and that's in all things, right? Good and bad. Okay, and then in verse 4, we saw Paul's prayer request for an open door, and that he would make manifest, that he would make plain or easy to see what he called the mystery of Christ, which we said was the gospel of Christ unto the Gentiles. And we want to do that both with boldness and in simplicity, okay? So that's what we looked at last week, and And all of that is going to be important, right? We review that because that's important. It's important to keep that in mind, right? The Bible tells us that in Christ, we have access to the Father. Okay, it's in Christ that we have access to the Father. But practically, on a day-to-day basis, right, that access comes through prayer in Jesus' name, right? And we're told that in John chapter 15, verse 16, right? And so if we are going to realize God's power and God's presence over and in our lives, right, we must be a people of prayer. Okay, so today we're going to be continuing these instructions in Colossians chapter 4, and the title of today's message is Prudent in Conduct and Gracious or Graceful in Conversation, right? And our focus today is indicative by the title, right, is on our conduct, our walk, and our conversation or our speech, okay? Um, I'm going to just be honest with you guys. So as I was kind of preparing this message, this was, of of everything that that you read in Colossians chapter 4, this was kind of the hardest for me to 
to wrap my arms around. There is, and in these two verses, there is just a ton there, right? There's a ton there and a ton we could talk about. Um, there are things that I'm not going to be able to cover today for the sake of time. And, and I struggled with, man, what, what do I cover? What do I point out? How, how deep do we go on these things, right, with the time that we have? And so um, I need your prayers. I appreciate John praying us in. Uh, I'm going to need God's grace here this morning. I'm just trusting the Lord to be able to show you the right things and, and to provoke all of us, right, to be able to continue and to look at this deeper on a more personal level as we go forth here today. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and read the verses. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. He says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. All right, so the, the breakdown of our passage, we can look at the passage like this, right? In verse 5, right, Paul is going to address our prudence, our wisdom in our conduct. Okay, and then in verse 6, the focus shifts, and we're going to be talking about being graceful or kind in our conversation or our speech. All right, so starting in verse 5, again, it says to walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Now, that, that term, them, that phrase, them that are without, right, that refers to those that are outside of the church, right, outside of the body of believers or what we would say is lost man. Right? And you see that very clearly in passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. You also see it in Revelation chapter 22, verses 13 through 15. I, I did not include that up here on the PowerPoint. We won't read that this morning for the sake of time. But um, I, I share with you that just to help kind of establish a more fuller context for us here this morning, which is our conduct towards or to the lost. Okay? So with that in mind... Point number one is this, right? We ought to guard our testimony. Guard our testimony. Again, verse 5, it says to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Right? We are to guard our testimony. You know, oftentimes we live our lives in a way that does not commend the gospel of Christ. Right? We live in ways that are contrary to the words that we speak and the things that we say we believe. Right? To walk in wisdom is to live in accordance with the commands of Scripture. Right? Wisdom in the Bible, it's more than just knowing facts. Right? That's, that's what we would call knowledge, just knowing facts. Right? Wisdom is the ability for us to take the facts that we know and be able to, to apply it to our lives and then live it out. So let me give you an example here, right? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, it says that a soft answer turneth away wrath. Right? A soft answer turneth away wrath. Now, now I can know that. Right? I can memorize that verse. We have our, our, our young children memorize scripture. Right? And they can know that. But, but wisdom is how do I take that and how do I apply that, right? So that when I'm in a conversation with somebody... And that conversation turns confrontational, right? And I got someone that, that's clearly upset with me. They're angered with me. They've, they're showing wrath with me. Maybe they're raising their voice. Maybe some unkind words are coming out. That, you know what, I don't have to respond in the same way back, right? You see, wisdom says, you know what, no, instead of responding 
like I'm, I'm being spoken to. No, no, I'm, I'm going to give a soft answer back, and I'm going to seek to pacify this wrath. Does that make sense? Are you with me? All right, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments. That's the word of God. He says, Even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it. He says, keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. Right? He says, this is your wisdom that you would take the things that you know from the word of God and that you would keep them and do them. In Psalms chapter 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise, or I'm sorry, making wise the simple. Psalms chapter 119, verse 100, says, I understand more than the ancients. Why? Because I keep thy precepts. Right, if we're going to reach the lost world for Christ, then we must be wise, right? We need wisdom from on high, and we must guard our testimony by keeping God's commands that are given to us in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Christ says, Behold, I shouldn't send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Right? Be ye therefore as serpents. Be therefore wise as serpents. And harmless as doves. You know, I, I remember as a young believer, I would read that verse, and I thought, man, that's, that's interesting, right? Why would God tell us, why would he use serpents, right? We know, we know who the serpent is in Scripture, right? That, that we see Satan as the serpent there in, in uh, Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 3, and, and uh, we see him again as the, that old wily serpent there in, in Revelation. But uh, so I always thought, man, that, that's a... It's strange that God would tell us to be his servants, and yet Ezekiel 28 tells us that at one point Satan was, right, he was full of wisdom, right? And so God said, hey, you know what? You ought to be wise. You ought to be like Lucifer was, right? But you also need to be harmless as doves, right? Wise as servant, but harmless as doves, when we identify ourselves as the follower of Christ, right, we are inviting the world to put us under a microscope and to examine our lives, right, and make no mistake about it, they are looking, right, and they are looking for a reason why I can discount what you have to say because what you say you don't live, Right? Your words don't match the actions of your life, so I don't have to listen to anything you have to say. I, I can discount that. The Bible can't be true. Right? When we identify ourselves as, man, I'm a follower of Christ, and then we live contrary to it, right? we give people a reason why they don't have to hear, and they don't have to consider, and they don't have to receive the things that we would share for them from Scripture. And it's to that end, in the book of Acts, chapter 24, verse 16, that the Apostle Paul, he said, you know what, I made it a point. He says, I exercised myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God 
and towards men. Right? And so, you know, this morning I, I was tempted to, to go down this road where we would just talk about lots of different practical examples of wisdom. Right? And, uh, and as I looked at that, man, that's just an exhaustive study. Right? It's, it's massive. Right? You can, we could spend years just trying to get through the book of Proverbs. In fact, Sam's working on that now. If you're here on Tuesday nights, right? Proverbs, this book of wisdom, and, and Sam is going through it line by line, verse by verse, right? And just unraveling and unpacking practical wisdom for us from the word of God, right? And so I, I'm not gonna do that this morning. If, if I tried to do that, um, we, we wouldn't even come close to, to being able to cover it. We certainly wouldn't get to the rest of this verse. And so um, I encourage you to check out what Sam has to say uh, on, on Tuesday nights. But you know what? What I want for all of us to get this morning is that, you know what, we need wisdom, we need wisdom on high. We must guard our testimony by endeavoring to learn for ourselves, to apply, and to live out the commands of Scripture. All right, point number two here this morning is that we ought to guard our time. Guard our time. My coffee is just getting to that point where it's not scalding my mouth. I need to pour it earlier in the morning. But. All right, Colossians 4, verse 5, it says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. He says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. As believers, we are stewards of our time. Right? And as we all know, time is a non-renewable resource. Right? Once it's gone, once it's passed, right, we cannot get it back. In Psalms chapter 39, verse 4, the psalmist says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Right? That I may know and understand how short life is and how precious my time is. See, every day God gives each one of us 24 hours. That's 1,440 minutes. And whether we realize it or not, right, we are investing our time in something. Even if that something is simply idleness. Right? Time is not something that we can bank. It's not something that we can save or store away. Every day, God gives us 1,440 minutes to invest in something. And here, Paul tells us to redeem the time. That word redeem, it means to buy back or to rescue from loss, right? And the point here is to make good use or full proof of the time that God has given us, right? Not to waste it on things that don't matter or things that are temporal, but rather to invest it in things that will matter for all of eternity, right? To invest it in God's purposes. Remember that Colossians 3.1 told us that, right, if we are risen with Christ, that we are to seek those things which are above, Right, as believers, we have to know, we must understand that, you know what, there will be a day when we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our service to the Lord, for our stewardship, and as his stewards, we will give an account for how we invested our gifts, our talents, our resources, and our time that he gave us. 
In Luke chapter 19, Christ gives the, the parable of the pounds. Okay, and, and um, I'm not going to read the entirety of the story here this morning, but, but the context of this parable, it's a kingdom of God context. And the, the basic story is this, right? You've got this nobleman, right, who points to Christ, and, and this nobleman goes off into a far country to receive a kingdom, okay? And before he leaves, right, he entrusts his servants with these pounds, okay? And so when he's gone, the, these servants, right, some of them take and they invest what their, uh, their nobleman, what their Lord has given them, right? And you, you, you see 10 servants, but it actually, as you read the story, it gives an account of what three of them did. And ultimately, of these three, two of them invested what they had been given, right? And the one, it gets back basically double. He gets... Um, he adds 10 pounds into himself. The other, right, he adds five pounds to himself. And the, and the last one, he simply takes the pound that he was given and he, and he hides it away in a napkin, right? And so the nobleman returns, right, and he calls to give an account, right? This is what you've been given. Now give an account of what did you do with this, right? And so these guys let him know, and, and he's obviously pleased with, with the two servants, right, who invested that. And what he ends up doing is he, as a result of their investment, as a result of how they use what he gave them, right, he makes them to be ruler over cities, right? The guy who, who got back 10 pounds, he makes him ruler over 10 cities. The guy who gets back 5 pounds, he makes him ruler over 5 cities. But the servant that just took what God had given him or took what this nobleman had given him, right, he takes away that he had, he takes away his reward, and and. He gives it to him that, that had gained 10, right? And the point of this story, right, the lesson that God is trying to teach us is that those who fail to invest what God has given them, right, will suffer loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and they will, will, they will lose their right to rule and reign with him during his millennial reign. Again, we don't have time to read it, but you've got the, the references there in your notes, and I'd encourage you to check that out. I want to shift our attention on to, uh, to verse 6. Verse 6, right? Here we're going to see grace in conversation. Point number 1 to verse 6 is that our conversation ought to be kind. Our conversation ought to be kind. Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace. Now, I've heard different people define grace in different ways, right? People like to say that, you know what, grace is equal to God's rewards at Christ's expense, right? And that's got a nice little acronym to it, right? The G-R-A-C-E, God's rewards at Christ's expense. And, and you see that, right? 2 Corinthians 8 9 absolutely would show you grace in that way, but... Very simply put, right, that, that word grace, and not just God's grace, it refers to the unmerited, right, the unearned, the undeserved favor or goodwill or kindness of another. Right, when we give grace, we are giving unmerited favor or kindness towards another. Right, so when it says, let your speech be with grace, another way we could say it would be, let your speech be with kindness, right? Or speak kindly. Now, we all know what, 
words are kind and what words are not. So I'm not going to try to spend time making lists for you on, on the kinds of words that are kind and, and, and those that are not. But I do want to point out that when we talk about our speech, it's not just the words that we say, but oftentimes it's the manner or the tone in which we communicate them and the hard attitude that's behind those words. Okay, now, we all get this, but to give you guys a, a little bit of example, so I, I've got two dogs at home, okay, and uh, one of my dogs, she's a, she's a white lab, um, really loving dog. Anybody who's been to my house, no, man, she'll, she'll kiss you, she'll lick you to death, she'll maybe kill you, wag you with her tail to death, but she's a good dog, and, and so when I speak with that dog, her name's Dakota, when I speak with Dakota, you know, I can, Dakota doesn't understand many of the words that I have to say, right? She understands a few commands like sit and lie down, and if we say speak, she'll bark for us or come, go, th those things. But by and large, right, I can't sit down and have a conversation with her. She didn't understand my words, right? But she certainly gets my tone, right? And so if I were to say to Dakota, Dakota! You wonderful little dog. I love you to death. You're the best dog that I've ever had. I love you. Just kiss me. Right? You know what her response is going to be? It's going to be to put her head down and tuck her tail between her legs. And she's going to kind of shake, right? Because my tone says, man, I'm, I'm mad at you. I'm angry with you. And she didn't understand that. Man, I'm just expressing how much I love you. Right, but on the same token, I could say to Dakota, Coda, you are just the dumbest dog that I've ever seen. I hate everything about you. And man, as soon as, the, as soon as the rest of the family's gone, I'm gonna take you outside. I'm just gonna kill you. I'm gonna let you lie in the road and have a car run over you. And her tail's just wagging and she loves it, right? She is so excited because she's like, man, he's talking to me. He's happy with me. He loves me. Right? She doesn't understand the words, but she certainly gets the tone that I have. Right? And oftentimes, it's not the words that we say, but it's how we communicate them. Right? I have a, a very sensitive wife, and God's done that for a reason for me. Right? And my daughter is even more so. Right? Man, if my daughter has done something she, doesn't, she, she shouldn't have done, it just takes a look. And she's melted. I mean, I, I can't get two words out of my mouth, and she is just an emotional wreck, right? And so I have to be very careful with the tone that I speak to them at, right? My son, now, <laughs> I can be a little more liberal with him, right? Like, sometimes he needs a little, <laughs> hey, I need you to hear me right now, right? But, but my wife, my daughter, no, and so, we get that, we must be careful to, to, to protect the tone, right? The tone in which we speak to others. We also have to be careful about the intent behind the words that we say. All right, in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, Paul said, but speaking the truth in love, that ye may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Right? Even when we have to speak hard things, it ought to be from a place of love. Right? My heart attitude behind it 
ought to be love, right? I ought to desire the best for whoever I'm talking to. And we, we get a great example of that in Scripture with the Apostle Paul in his letter to the First Corinthians. Right? If, you, if you know anything about that letter, right, it's, it's very much a letter of reproof. Right? Paul doesn't have very many good things. Right? There's, there's little to no con, uh, commendation in the letter of First Corinthians. But I want you to notice Paul's heart attitude behind it. Right? When he writes the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians... He addresses what he had to say in the first letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, For out of, get this, much affliction, much affliction, and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. You see, Paul got no joy out of having to, to have a hard conversation with the Corinthians. He says, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Right? Paul had to write a letter and he had to say some hard things because this church was in a bad way. But Paul did so from a place, from a heart attitude of love. And we ought to do the same thing when we speak to others. Go back to our, our passage, Colossians 4, 6. It says, let your speech be always with grace. Now, I don't want to be one to just state the obvious here, but that word always, it means always, at all times, right? It's not just when it's deserved, in fact, right, if you recall the definition that we set of grace, right, it is the unmerited, it's the unearned, it's the undeserved kindness or favor or goodwill, right? So that means just because when someone doesn't meet my expectations or that we disagree or they frustrate me or they're unkind to me, that doesn't give me a license to go and be a jerk and not to speak with them with grace, so if I could, um, I'm just going to get real with you guys. I'm going to air a little of my dirty laundry. So um, about three weeks ago, my, my mom had asked, she said, hey, you know, can you plant a, a couple bushes for me? I said, sure, I'd love to help you out. And so a, a couple turned out to be, what was it, 12? 12 bushes. So Tony's definition of a couple is 12, okay? So 12 bushes, and so I'm there on a Saturday, and I've got the kids with me, and, and the kids are, first they're wanting to help, but they get bored pretty quickly, and so then they're, hey, let, let's go ride our bikes, and Dad, can we take our bikes? And there's this little loop right around our house, and, and so they're asking, hey, can we, can we just ride our bikes around this loop? And I said, yeah, sure, but... but only around this loop because I can see around this loop. You don't you don't go any further. And so um, I'm there. I'm in the front yard. And I'm planting these bushes, and the kids are riding in. And then all of a sudden, I, I hear Addie audibly, and she's crying. And I and I see her, and she's walking with her bike, and her brother is is a little bit behind her, walking with his bike. And I I assume that I just missed it that she somehow she fell off her bike. Right. That's that's the assumption that I have. And 
And she gets up to the house, and, and I said, what, what's wrong? Are you hurt? And uh, she, you know, it, it takes her a minute just to, just to communicate what's going on. And, and, and what she tells me is that, you know, no, this lady, this house, it's a couple houses down, right? Um, we, we, were, we were coming around the loop, and, and Gabriel kind of fell off his bike into the yard. And so he was, he was getting his bike, and he was walking out of her yard, and, and she pulled up into her driveway. And, and Addie is a good sister, right? She's, she's just standing there in the driveway waiting for her brother. And, and Addie's a good bike rider. Gabriel is, he can ride it, but he's still learning to ride, right? He's not very stable on it. And so she's waiting for him, and this, this woman pulls up, and... Uh, she rolls down her window, and she was not very pleasant to the kids. Um, she yelled at my son for being in her yard. Uh, she yelled at my daughter for being in her driveway, told them they were to never be on her property again. And, and again, my, my daughter is very sensitive, and so uh, it just it didn't go over well. And so she's telling me this, and as a, as a dad, I am ticked off. Because I'm thinking, man, she is eight years old. He is six. They're, they're good kids. I mean, they really are good kids. And, uh, and so my, my mom's there, Grandma Tony, right? She's hearing it, and she's mad. And she, I'm going to go down, I'm going to, and, and, and I'm thinking, no, no, no. I'm going to be the more spiritual one here. Let me go have this conversation with this woman, right? And so I walk down the street, and, uh, you know, I'm cognizant it's COVID time, so I, I ring the doorbell, and I, and I take some steps back. Um, she comes to the door, and so I introduce myself. I say, hi, I'm, my name's Jason. I live just down the street. I understand that, you know, my, my son and daughter, they were just down here, and um, they may have upset you being in the yard. She says, yeah, you know, your, your kid was riding through my yard. And I said, well, you know, he, he's six. He just turned six, and he's, he's still learning to ride his bike, so occasionally he'll He'll kind of stumble off, and when he does, he tries to make sure he lands in grass instead of concrete. And so I said, he, he knows. He's, we don't walk through people's yards. We don't ride through people's yards, right? I'm, I, I don't think that was his intent. And, and my daughter is simply just waiting there for him. And this lady's just going off on me, and, and she's, you know, well, you know, you should have been a better parent holding your kid when he's riding his bike. And, I mean, just blasted me. And so quickly I go from being in the spirit <laughs> to being in the flesh. And she's telling me, I've spent so much money on my yard and da-da-da-da. And, and I'm looking around her yard and I'm thinking, man, your yard doesn't look very good at all. Uh, you wasted a lot of money. And, and so it finally just comes out. And I'm like, look, lady, your yard sucks. and It doesn't look good anyway. And you know, that doesn't excuse you to be a big ogre, be a big jerk to my kids, right? And I'm like, you should be ashamed of yourself. And, uh, and at this point, a couple of the neighbors, they had actually seen this whole thing. So they're out, and, and uh, so I just, I just grab Addie, and we, we walk on home. And, and I have a few of the neighbors, and they, they've, they've come over, and they're like, man, I'm just, I can't believe that lady acted like that, did all that. And, and so, you know, again, I'm thinking, yeah. What a witch, you know, I'm justified. I should have just put that woman in her place. I should have even given it to her harder than that. And, and so then I'm reading this this week. <laughs> her dad's like, 
hey, you remember that conversation you had with that woman a few weeks ago? It's like, at what point did you leave off all the way with grace? And I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, ah, yeah, I, I bombed that big time. Lord, and and uh, something, well, I'm going to go in here tomorrow, and I'm going to share that with people, and I'm going to tell them, man, you got, you got to always speak with grace. It's not just when people are nice to you. And I didn't just do that myself, and so... I'm like, man, I can't be a hypocrite. And so last night, um, I walked down to this woman's house, and, and Addie wanted to come with me, and so she does. And I, and I thought, well, that's probably a good idea. I think this is a single woman, and so it's probably a little bit intimidating for her. I'm a, I'm a man, and, and so I just, again, I want to do whatever I can to, to make this as peaceful as possible. And so I ring her doorbell, and, and I said, hey, I, we had an interaction a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remember. You know, I'm sure you remember um, this is what happened. I said, I, I just want to apologize. I said, you know, I, I call myself a follower of Christ, and, and the Bible tells me that, you know, I ought to speak with you always with grace, and, and I certainly didn't do that. And, and regardless of what happened, or regardless of what was said, I failed, and I messed up on that part. So and I, I just wanted to come down and apologize to you. And this woman, she just starts crying. She starts crying, and she can't even say much at first, and she finally, when she stops crying, she says, you know, I have felt so bad about that ever since that day. She said, you know, I, I work in a hospital, and uh, it had just been a really bad day. We had lost a couple people, and that's no excuse. She said, I... I I hated the fact that, man, I acted that way towards your kids and I acted that way towards you. And I've just, I have struggled so much with this and I didn't even know what to do. I, I just, I'm not even really a person of prayer. And so I, you know, I just started, I just started asking God that he would forgive me of this. And, and she's like, you don't know what it means to me for you to come down here and say that, right? That just, it means the world to me. And Man, I want, my name is this, and your kids are welcome at my house anytime. Like, if there's anything I can do for you, and and so it was, we talked for a while, and it was really a good conversation. And I got to share with her a little bit, and um, just trust the Lord for now future conversations with this woman. But I share all that. Not, it was a nice reconciliation story, but I totally bombed that in the moment, right? And all of us can do that, right? When emotions get in, right? When, when others don't treat us, right? When they don't treat us the way we expect, when they don't meet our expectations, it's very, very easy to lose sight of the fact that God says, hey, you know what? I want you to speak always at all times with grace. All right, point number two here under our conversation, right, is that our conversation ought to be interesting, Right? You didn't think you were going to get that one this morning. Right? Our conversation ought to be interesting. Right? We don't want to be boring. It says, let your speech be always with grace. It says, season with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Right? We know that, that salt, it gives flavor. Right? It makes food interesting. Right? And oftentimes, so much of our conversation, it's, it's flat, it's insipid or tasteless. Right? 
and, and the only thing that we usually know how to do in order to spice it up is to get, to get angry or overly emotional or we add profanity or obscenities into our conversation and that's how we're gonna spice up our conversation. Right? But we ought to add salt to our conversation. We ought to aim to be interesting in our conversation. Right? We ought to be able to draw on our experiences, on our readings, on what we've learned and what we know from the Bible in order to season our speech. You know, Christ conversations, they were often laced with the Old Testament scriptures, with parables and stories and illustrations from all walks of life and everyday events. You know, people today, they know so little about the Bible, right? The average person knows so little about the Bible that if you just take the little bit that you know and you trust God to open doors and you weave that into your conversations, man, it will season up your speech. It will season up your conversation. It'll add spice and life to it. The second thing that salt does for us is it creates thirst. Right? Salt creates thirst. And our conversation, it ought to make people thirsty right, for what the Bible calls the water of life. Right? In John chapter 4, verse 14, Christ said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life, right? I remember when I first, uh, or not when I first got saved, but before I had first got saved, um, I'm starting to get around. I, I, you know, I met my wife and through her and, and going to her church and just having conversations with people there and the things that they would, would share with me and the things that they would tell me, right, man, it... It made me thirsty, right? It's like whatever they told me, I, I just wanted to know more. Wait, wait, you mean you mean that God actually talks about that? Well, wait a minute, what does God, if God says that about that, does he, does he say anything about this over here, right? I just became thirsty, right? I wanted more, I, I had to know more, right? And that was because I had believers that were surrounding me that were just taking the things that they knew from the word of God, right? And they were presenting in a way that's like, man, hey, did you know that thing that you're struggling with over here? God actually addresses that, right? That thing that you're interested in over here, God actually has something to say about that too, right? That, those, those problems that you got over here in your family, like God has something to say about that as well, right? And it made me thirsty for more and more of the word of God. All right, our last point here this morning Point number three, right? Our conversation ought to be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled, right? It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Right? The majority of people that we interact with are lost, right? In our conversation, it ought to get them asking questions. And when they ask, Right? We ought to be prepared to answer the questions they have. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of hope that is in you, 
with meekness and fear, right? Sanctify the Lord God and be ready always to give an answer, right? And to give an answer, you know what? We need wisdom, right? We need enlightenment from the Holy Spirit of God, but we also need to know the scriptures for ourselves. You know, at this church, we have no excuses, Right? Between the preaching that you hear on Sunday mornings in main service that you get from, from Kenny and our other men and women in, in life on Sundays or in your Bible studies, right? between discipleship and LFBI, right? the opportunities to learn the scriptures for yourself are endless. Right, I, I think about, I, I've been to, to Malawi a couple times, and there's some really awesome, incredible people over there, and, and you get believers in Christ, and um, you will meet, and Kenny can testify to this, right? We met large numbers of pastors of churches, right? Good, faithful people whose heart and mind is set to, serving the Lord with everything they got. And they will only know a fraction, just a fraction of what our D1 students will ever be taught. Pastors and leaders of churches over there, they would love to know the things that you know. They would love to have access to the teaching that you do. They would love to have access to the Word of God, not just in your paper form, but with on your computer where you can get on and do a concordance and do a word search, right? Or on your phone and say, man, I couldn't think of this verse, but I, I remember this phrase and I just looked it up really quickly. They don't have any of that. And yet we do, right? In Luke 12, right, the Lord tells us, right, unto whomsoever much is committed of him shall but much be expected. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, right? Him shall much be required. It's, it's like Spider-Man ripped off uh, Luke 12 there, but we all get it, right? We have access to as much of the Word of God as we want. And so we ought to be prepared to answer the questions that people have, not just answer the questions that we want to answer, but to answer the questions that people have. At Mission Focus this past year, um, Pastor Briscoe and, and Pastor Dan Renault, they, they did the, um, the, the study on the evangel evangelistic Bible studies, right? And on the last day, Dan Renault, man, he said something to me that, that has just really stuck in my crawl ever since. He said, you know what? We, we get so caught up trying to answer questions that people aren't asking. Right? We spend all of our time, and we're, oh man, I want to give you an answer to this question, but, but you're not asking that question, right? So that the guy at my work that, that says, hey, you know what, I'm an atheist, I don't even, or at best I'm agnostic, I don't even know if God exists, and I'm, I'm trying to answer, this is who Christ is on the cross, right? And this is your sin, right? I'm trying to answer a question he's not asking, because he, he doesn't care about sin, right? If I don't believe in a, in a higher power, if I don't believe in a creator, well, then I'm not accountable to him, and so sin's not a problem for me, right? Why do I need Jesus on the cross to take away my sins? There's not even a 
creator, right? I'm not accountable to anyone but me. And so we're, we, we, I skip all that and I go straight to the cross and I'm trying to answer a question he's not asking instead of saying, oh man, this is where you're at. Well, let me show you the creator. All right, let me show you what the Bible says, right? That this all, all of this something didn't come from nothing. And this is what the Bible says. And let me start there and let me introduce you to your creator and so that you can understand that there is a creator and if there is a creator, well, then, then, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what does he want from me and what does he expect from me? And then I find out that, that he's, not just, he's not just a creator, man. He is holy and righteous and, and spotless and perfect. And, and oh, man, I'm anything but. And because of that, right, my, my sins have separated me from God, and, and, and now I'm, I, I'm separated from God, and, and the, the punishment for my sins is this. And so, you know what? God loved me so much that, man, now he sent his son down for me, right? To get to that point, I've got to start by giving an answer to the question that they're asking. All right, and to do that, man, I, I need wisdom from on high. I need the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. But, man, i got to know the book for myself. Right, so that I can answer the questions that people are asking. All right, with that, we are out of time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite John up to wrap us up. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Um, so much in your word, Lord. This is such a rich passage to, to look and consider things like grace and wisdom and, and our conduct and our conversation, Lord. It's, it's, just, it's just massive. And uh, there's obviously no way that we were going to be able to cover all that this morning. So, Lord, I, I do pray that you would take the things that, that you've shown me, the things that we've talked about here this morning, and, and, God, you would help us to consider those things, to consider where we're at, to consider our walk towards them that are without, to consider our speech towards them that are without, right? And do, do, do we line ourselves with your word, right? Is our testimony... Right? Does it give a reason for people to, to blaspheme and, and to, to disregard the things that your words have to say, the things that we would witness unto others? Lord, does our speech, does it break people down and tear them up to where they don't want to hear anything that I have to say because I'm just a monster? Or Lord, is our speech always with grace? Lord, I, I know for me, I... I I fall woefully short in a lot of these areas. And so, God, I pray that you continue to work on my own life. I pray that you continue to work on everybody's lives here. And let us, again, just, just take heart to what your words have to say and, and that you would change us and conform us and make us more like Jesus Christ, Lord, so that we could be effective for you, Lord, so we could go deeper for you, Lord, so that we could truly, Lord, be effective ministers and stewards for you. Thank you again for your word here this morning, Lord. I give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Christ's name, amen.